Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. The grace mindset. Before we look again at, at the warfare aspect of this, I want to put this on the front end and then I will use it in the middle and then I'm going to use it on the back end of this today. And I thought, well, I've probably have repeated this message, I don't know, over, over the past 10 years in some form or another, I have repeated it. But then I thought, I, I went on a journey with some friends on Friday evening just talking about all the turmoil of the, of the uh, church years, and not, not in a like disgruntled or an angry way or anything, but just talking about, you know, much of it was just really hard labor, and then how I got pulled, and where I went, and why I went there, and those kind of things, and then... I was thinking about it this morning and I remember coming to Kansas City and listening to this preacher stand on the stage going, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And all you have to do is go, all you have to do is turn your eyes and go, I love you back, I love you back, I love you back. And that was the message that gripped my heart. And that message got repeated over and over and over again till I really it started to form and fashion in me, and I'm really as much convinced of it today. And so I got to thinking about how do we get off in our way of thinking, and I want you, I wish I had an outline to show you this. Um, a, a couple of, oops, I walk into the dark. I'm sorry, it's real hard for me to stand. I'm going to remind myself so I don't disappear from you. Imagine two points, and, and they run on parallel tracks. And one point is God, and the other point is you. This point over here, the God point, is always truth. Always truth. And it always runs in a straight line. This point, when it starts to veer from truth, and it starts going another direction, look at what it does. It keeps getting further and further and further away. So coming back to things to look at, wait, I have to know what this is. That's really a work of, if you will, it is a type of repentant thought, is going back to where the point gets off. And so in looking at the grace mindset, that's what happens with so many believers. I've watched this over and over and over and over again. They start out here, and believing and trusting Jesus, and then they start adding stuff to it and taking stuff away. And it starts going like that. It gets wider and wider and wider apart. And, and it's really important to come back to, uh, there's a box of rocks up here. Now, it's, I, I don't know what they were for because they're not mine, and I mostly think a box of rocks is dumb. But it is, it is important in this sense. If these are the markers. And there's certain things that are in your walk and in how you understand faith and how you understand God and life and truth. There are foundations that are unchanging. And you have to come back to those points in your life 
over and over and over again. I often thought to myself when Billy Graham was alive, why people who had already been to a Billy Graham campaign went back to another Billy Graham campaign. It's like, well, you, you got saved, so what are you going back to here? Because he only preached one message. That was a, I love that about him, the message of salvation. But it is good to come back to that singular point in time. And it's why I think God has emphasized the past few weeks, this is just by way of introduction, introduction of even the thing about I was feeling from the Lord, go way back, go back in your life to those, those key moments in God and have your box and fill them with the rock of God. Fill them with the, this you found to be true, where God, where God is and where he showed up. So all that to understand how we get our minds renewed and how, how vitally important the weapons of our warfare are. How mighty and strong they are because they pull down. I was always taught, we did this last week, to go after devils and the way the the enemy was lying to me and everything. But it actually wasn't the enemy that was lying to me. It was my self-talk. All of you have self-talk. Everybody talks to themselves. Everybody has an internal voice. And, uh, you know, it, you often wonder if a person who's talking to themselves, are they mentally okay? Yes. Everybody has self-talk. David had it. David reveals his self-talk to you in some of the psalms that he wrote. Where you hear him saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He, he's, he's telling his, with, through his self-talk, he's telling himself, Bless God, at the, you know, and forget none of his benefits. And then he starts listing them out. And he starts telling himself that those things. It's such a, a simplistic cry and prayer of the heart. And it's so good. 2 Corinthians 10 is about self-talk. It's about your internal dialogue with yourself about what truth is and what lies are. And that you have been given a tool through the Holy Spirit being with you to pull down, he says, those arguments. So let's hear this scripture. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So, how, what is that? Well, in that they're not carnal. So carnal, the carnality of it, if you were going to use a carnal means, let's say you're a thief and you steal. Okay? To be carnal, to stop yourself from stealing, you would need to cut off your hands. That way you won't take something. Matter of fact, that's what some law by some religion in the earth actually command to be done. You're a thief? We'll take care of that. No more hands. Now try and... Doesn't work. But you see, we're not carnal. They're bigger than that. They're bigger than even law to get you to do right and wrong. The law won't keep you from doing wrong things. 
it just identifies the wrong that you did. It has no power to get you to stop. What has that power? Oh, a new birth, a new identity. I'm not a thief. I'm no longer a thief. I once stole. I don't steal anymore because I'm not a thief anymore. I have a brand new identity. So it pulls down those strongholds that tell us that we're something other than what God tells us. Is this making sense? And how do we know that? We cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So it's really important that you settle something. What does God think about you? What is your knowledge of God? If you're going to pursue anything to grow, it's the knowledge of what God is and knows. It's right here. Bringing every thought, not devils, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Have you ever had an argument with yourself? Oh, yeah. Thank you. I've had plenty of those. I still do. But now here, often when the argument, and we start losing the argument, then we say stuff like, when are you going to quit being so stupid? You're just stupid. You ever do that? Those are things. Do you think God thinks you're stupid? No. He doesn't think that at all. He created you and he gave you a mind to think. Why would he create a stupid mind? There's no reason. So those are thoughts that actually argue against the truth of God. Those thoughts violate truth and stand against it. Those thoughts become misbeliefs. The reason they're called misbeliefs is it's something that you think is true that isn't. Another way of saying misbelief is lie. It's a lie. So, for the sake of what we're going to go through in the coming weeks, a misbelief is something that you hold to be true, but here's the thing. It's in conflict with the character and nature of God and his word. It always argues against that. When you get into performance and feel like you don't measure up, your self-talk is going to go to misbeliefs and not what is true about God and what he says about you. God and his word are true truth. What does that mean? It's truth that is always, it's not only settled that this is true, but that it keeps being true. It's always true. It won't ever change and become untrue. We live today in an age of what's known as relativism. So that means truth can change. And your truth may not be the same as my truth. So it's relative to the situation. So that leads to a whole lot of problems. Now, this is a big concept, but for you kids, that, that leads to things that it depends on how we live. So it's called situational ethics. That it's okay 
to like this group of people because they talk the same way I do, think the same way I do, believe the same things I do. But those people over there are bad because they don't think that way. That's not a true truth. It's not true. It isn't the way they think that makes them bad. And it isn't the way you think that makes you different than them. God wants us to find the commonality in the ground that we were. Uh, it's wonderful. We're not only in God through creation, but here, now we're in God through Christ. It's, a, it's an unmutable, unchangeable thing. And so those types of truths can determine how I treat other people, and it doesn't become situational. And so my standing doesn't change. How I view things doesn't change, so I align it with God. Does that make sense? This is what William Backus wrote in a book called Telling Yourself the Truth. He says this, It is the content of human thinking that makes the difference between misery and happiness. I like being happy. I don't like being miserable. Anybody with me? I don't like misery. I don't like pain. I don't like those kind of things. But he says this, not circumstance, but misbeliefs do that. What matters is not the event, but how a person appraises and evaluates the event. What you think about what's going on. What occurs outside of him does not make him joyful or wretched, angry or benevolent, peaceful or turbulent. It's what he believes about the event that makes all the difference. So when we say, you get in a fight with a friend and he says, and you say to him, you make me so mad, or a spouse, you really are making me angry. No, they're not making you angry. You're responding to the situation in anger. You're choosing to be angry. Now that's another whole thing to go through. But nobody can make you be something. It's an internal thing. And this is why this idea of mindsets is so important. If, my, if we stay in unbeliefs and we tell ourselves different things that are not true, we approach problems, circumstances, relationships, our view of self, and especially our relationship to God through a whole set of misbeliefs. Now remember what I said about it getting off. If I asked you this question this morning, ask yourself, what do you believe God thinks about you right now? So he's going, hmm, Timothy. Chad, does he have a smile on his face? Sharon, is he delighted with you? 
What's the, what's the mental picture that starts coming into your head when you start thinking not just about God, but about how God thinks about you? It's always a little bit uncomfortable because you know, well, yeah, God loves me because he feels sorry for me. Did you ever do that one? God does not love you because he feels sorry for you. God didn't come to the world to save the world because he felt sorry for the world. He created the world and it was good. Is God sorry he made you? No. Did he want your eyes to be brown or blue? What color are they? That's what he intended. And he liked it that way. We try to change that. We even had a song. Don't make your brown eyes blue. Well, it was a play on words. Blue meaning emotionally. But it's this view of of who and what God is and what I believe that God says to be true. So where is it really important that I find that truth? In the word that tells us the character and nature of God. His word always declares his character and nature. Jesus came to reveal who? The Father. He came to reveal God. So this is why the question. What controls your view and your approach to God? Yep. Do you have to wear a mask? Isn't that a strange question to ask today? This is why I've hammered this and I put this up almost every week uh, for the last few weeks. You have to get your true truth wrapped around the definition of grace and the description of the realm of grace because it will determine when it becomes your mindset it determines how you approach God and it will change how you view casting down arguments and everything that vaults itself against the knowledge of God not out there in the world but inside the way you think If God's grace is absolute and unchanging and it's unforced, that means nothing you could do could get God to do it or to stop him from doing it. And it was gained by what he did through his death and resurrection. It allows God to then be completely for you. Grace tells me God's for me all the time. That's why I asked you, What do you think God's thinking about you right now? If you don't believe that God is for you, I I have a prescription for you as a good doctor. You ready? Here's the prescription. You read Romans 4 through 8 once a week for the next year. It's a prescription. It's medicine. Medicine for the way we think. You just keep reading. Read it out loud. Read it silently. 
But just once a week, read those chapters. It's five chapters. Four, five, six, seven, eight. You read those chapters, I guarantee you, your view of God will start aligning itself with what true truth is, and your view of self will be changed dramatically in the way you think, how you operate, how you approach life, how you problem solve, how you see God, how you see other people, what you see going on in our country, will all change just through that perspective. His word is true medicine for our soul. Here's a verse that is an indicator. It's not exactly like a thermostat, but pretty close. And it's this. This verse will reveal what controls your view and approach to God. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Do you come boldly to a throne of grace? Or do you come to a negotiating table? It's all revealed in that one scripture. Do I see me, now when we say come to a throne of grace, I'm talking about when you start talking to God about what's going on, do you go to a place where the authority, the throne, where he sits is grace? If you don't, you don't have a grace mindset. And therein lies the malady. That's where the points get off. And, it, and they start getting further and further. And the further you stay, see, straying or bringing back. Now think about this. To have the mind renewed, I have to go to the place that it was made new. I'm renewing it. So I have to bring it back to that place. This is this. God is completely for me. I am accepted in the beloved. He's not holding anything I did or didn't do against me. All that he does, all how he acts towards me were based on what Jesus did, not what I did. It's a game changer. Some people say you make too much of grace. No, we make too little of it. Because we don't use it as the starting point. We use it when we want. We talked this morning in our group about the scandal of grace. The scandal of grace is it made everything right. Can you take advantage of grace? Yes! But Paul says, don't do that. You're, you've missed the point of grace when you take advantage of grace. It has to come back to this. When you approach God, is it through the realm of grace and truth? Because if it's by any other means, you have just become a legalist. You are trying to use something else to negotiate your position with God. Now, if you're going to negotiate your position, you have to become an attorney. An attorney at law. You'll have to practice the law, and you have to find the things that make it right. He's smiling because he, he has his law degree. 
then you have to find the things that make it right, but that's a futile attempt because the law can't make anything right. It only identifies that which is It can tell you where you got off, but it can't tell you how to fix it. It can catch you speeding, and it can show it on the radar gun, and it can say you did it at this time of the day, and yup, there was that Belton cop on Y Highway, where it's 25 miles from, <laughs> a few of us that live down south. But it can't get you to stop speeding. And it didn't make you speed. So this approach, always go back to Hebrews 4. Whenever you're struggling with thoughts about yourself, do you go boldly to a throne of grace? If not, you have a fault line. There is something wrong. Your thinking isn't redeemed. You don't have redemption thinking. You have, I think somebody coined this a few weeks ago, you have stinking thinking. It smells. It's off. It's wrong. It's a lie. It's a misbelief. And the more you handle the truth, the stronger the odor becomes. Really does. You can smell a lie a mile away. You can smell the lie inside of you and you'll still play with it. Yes, you will. So this approach is really important. When I start, when you tell you, now don't do that, that's wrong. That's, that's an argument, right? Don't do that, that's wrong. That will help you about this much. Try this one. Don't do that. That's not who you are. Whew. Now it's completely different. Now I've moved into the realm of my identity. Not the circumstances. Don't do it because it's wrong. No. That will only hold you as long as your willpower holds out. But when it's changed to not willpower, but grace power, this is who God declares me to be, suddenly I have a different argument. I have something that stands. So, these are some ways to find out. And I've read this before. Before we read these questions, and I'll close with these questions. Oh man, can I read you just a couple of quotes? This is really, this is so key. And I, it, it's hard because I'm a teacher. And I want to keep you here for an hour. And I, I know that plays against things. But think of this. This is what Dudley Hall wrote in, in his book, Orphans No More. Jesus is gloriously exclusive in an inclusive way. Anyone who comes to the Father through believing the Son is welcome. Anyone. There are no ethnic, social, legal, gender, or geographically boundaries, just faith in God. To come to the Father and come to his house, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a, we all talk about destiny. It's not a destiny, it's a destination. 
Destiny is the journey, but you've already had the destination complete. Uh, do you know where you're going when you die? I do. I know where I'm going. It, it, it's settled. God established heaven, established the kingdom of God within me. I know where I'm going. It is so deeply, deeply important. So this is from God's perspective from the realm of grace. I've read this before. This is from The Cure. This was probably one of the most meaningful paragraphs. I, I have gone back and read and reread and reread and reread and reread this. Because when you get this in you, you have a grace perspective. He says this. God has shown all of his cards revealing breathtaking protection. He says, in essence, what if I tell them who they now are? What if I take away any element of fear? What if I tell them I will always love them? That I love them right now as much as I love my only son? What if I tell them there are no logs of past offenses, of how little they pray or how often they've let me down? What if I tell them they are actually righteous right now? What if I tell them I'm crazy about them? What if I tell them that if I'm their savior, they're going to heaven no matter what? It's a done deal. What if I tell them they have a new nature, that they are saints, not saved sinners? What if I tell them I actually live in them now, my love, power, and nature at their disposal? What if I tell them they don't have to put on masks? That's a great one today. That they don't need to pretend that we're close. What if they knew that when they mess up, I'll never retaliate? What if they were convinced bad circumstances aren't my way of evening the score? What if they knew the basis of our friendship isn't how little they sin, but how much they allow me to love them? Oh. What if I tell them they can hurt my heart, but I'll never hurt theirs? What if I tell them they can open up their eyes when they pray and still go to heaven? What if I tell them there's no secret agenda, no trap door? What if I tell them it isn't about their self-effort, but about allowing me to live my life in them. That paragraph is where I come back to the right point. And I go, wait, wait, wait. This isn't me about how, how much I confess I did it wrong and go make it right with everybody else. You do have to go th make things right. You hurt people. You have circumstances you have to deal with. But that doesn't make you okay with God. So here's some questions. I just want you to deal with the questions this week. Do I measure my closeness to God by how little I'm sinning or by my trust that to the exact extent the Father loves Jesus, 
Jesus loves me. Do you believe that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus? Do I see myself primarily as a safe sinner or a saint who still sins? Capable, I'm capable of doing the most awful thing. That's actually a humility statement that causes me to trust God. When I talk to God, do I spend more time rehearsing my failures or enjoying his presence? Do you go boldly to a throne of grace? That, that's the one question that always, I don't know. It didn't throw me, I just... Hey, if you read, you grow. Am I drawn to severe authors and preachers who challenge me to get serious about sin? Or to those who encourage me to trust this new identity in me? It's really a revealing thing. Oh, don't stop working now. Okay, I'll just tell them to you. Listen to these questions. Come on. I don't know why it's not doing it. Are you drawn to messages that tell you that you haven't done enough? Are you drawn to things that tell you that you're so free that you can live out this life that God's given you? Are you free? Are you captive? Do you believe that one day you might be pleasing to God? Or are you convinced in your heart that you're already pleasing to God? Are you preoccupied with your sin? Or in expressing and receiving love from others? Do you trust disciplines, meaning your effort? Do you trust your will to make you strong or grace to strengthen you? Grace is a strengthening factor in God. I kept trying so hard, so blasted hard, and I can do it. You can ask my wife, when I'm determined to get something done, I will pick at that thing all day long till I get it. Didn't change. It was just an argument. Then the idea of change. Do I believe that God is interested in changing me? This is a really key question. Do you believe that God's main interest in you is to change you? Or do you believe God already has changed you? What? Changes everything. It's that approach thing. Oh, I know how badly I need to change. I bet you God really wants to... He's going to... Um, she used language in the past that said, like, the Lord's really working on that area of my life. I did that one a bunch. Oh, God's disciplining me. 
God sent me to that church because he's disciplining me. I have to go there and be there. I've actually heard that that one has been said to me. Yeah, uh, and it was actually about this church. I left New Day because I'm under God's discipline and I have to go to this other place. I won't say what the place was. And I just went, are you kidding me? So that's a, oh, never mind. If you think that God is trying to make a better you, you miss the whole point of his being on the earth and dying and resurrecting. He didn't come here to make a better you. He came here to make a new you. A different you. And he did it. It's finished. Do I read the Bible as you ought, you should, why can't you, when will you? Or do you read it as, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have a new identity. This is what I look like. And man, we use scriptures just to decimate other people and ourselves. And totally misapply it because we don't do it through grace. We'll read parts of 1 Corinthians that tell us who's not going to inherit the kingdom. When we never finish it with the next verse which says, of which some of you were. You're not that anymore, but we'll use it as a measuring stick. Oops. Singing old Britney, what's her name, Spears songs. Oops, I did it again. Pitiful. It's not a grace approach. I don't come boldly to the throne of God. Go to the next slide, because this is really, these four questions is what I want you to wrestle with this week. You might want to take a snapshot of it. What does God's love look like, and what do you tell yourself about it? Here's what you can do. If you don't think you know what God's love looks like, go to 1 Corinthians 13 and take out the word love and put the word God in there. Because they describe what love looks like. And man, when you read it that way, it upends you. God is patient. God is kind. God is long-suffering. He starts describing, this is what, because God is love. Ask yourself, how is this making a difference in my life? If it's not making a difference, you don't have a grace approach because the law can't change you. Are you growing and changing and maturing? Are you stuck someplace? Now we're going to approach that next week with mindsets. Mindsets create blocked learning. If you're a blocked learner, you'll keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, expecting different results. That's called blocked learning. One guy called it insane. Pretty smart guy. This last question. Oh, listen, if you, can, if you can actually believe this about yourself, can your mind be renewed to think differently? It's a dangerous one. This is, I love this because it's scary. 
It's actually, when you think about it, it's, it's such freedom that I don't have to get stuck. I'm not stuck. The minute you tell yourself and your friends you're stuck, you're stuck. You've just identified it. Yep. And people come to me and tell me, I just don't know how to get out of this. Going, yeah, you're stuck. I can't help you. By the way, do you try and fix your friends? That was another question to go up there. People don't fix people. Did you notice that? They're sort of like the law. All they can do is identify what needs fixing. You're a liar. You can hold up the mirror of reality. I'm... shouldn't go there. I was going to do the gender thing, but I won't. I've always struggled with the bride image. Can you see this in a bridal gown? It just never worked for me. Can I really have the mind of Christ and really think the things that God thinks about me? Can you? Well, if you can, that's the most exhilarating adventure you'll ever go on. Not what others tell you, not what you lie to yourself about, but what God believes in His heart about you. If we really don't believe that God makes junk, then stop looking at yourself like junk. You're not. It's funny how we can portray it to other people and try and fix them and refuse to walk in the truth ourselves. This was the scary thing. Not... Could I believe that God was completely for you? Yeah, I really didn't have that much issue with it. Of course he'd be for you. I know the love of God. The one I had to wrestle with was was God for me. In an unending, unmeasurable, unstoppable way. Did God love me endlessly? It's funny how we can believe it for somebody else the most lowly of creatures and can't do it for ourselves. That's the biggest lie of all. So bring it back to the point it got off. I believe and receive the grace of God. I'm going to pray for you right now. I believe my prayers are really effectual. The weakest of my prayers spark God's interest. And I believe when I pray, I have great authority. So don't worry about you dealing with your authority this morning. Let me take that. Because I can't fix you. But I know the one that can. God, I pray for my friends right now. For everybody that has struggled with this issue of where's the line? Where's the measuring stick? What do I think about myself? What do others think? I pray.
pray right now that true truth would enter their hearts, that you are completely for them and endlessly in love with them, and that you have a good plan to work into their lives. That they are not second choice, they're not second team, they're not sitting on the bench, they're not out of the game. That you are completely, completely for them. That there's nothing, nothing in the way. You removed every obstacle. You removed sin. You removed death. You removed doubt. You removed fear. You removed every lie that was ever said against them. Even the ones they told themselves. And that this week, I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that the remembrance of what Christ did completely, that it's finished, would enter each heart, young and old. And that nothing could come up against it this week. And that when it does, the true truth would rise up. God is for me. Who can be against me? God is for me. I ask that that would blazon into people's thoughts this week. Every time they have an argument, that you would rise up and that what Romans says, God is for me, would be there. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each of you this entire week and bring freedom in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.